join us for the TVO Telethon, March 23rd and 24th, and donate early for a chance at great prizes. Visit telethon.tvo.org for more information. Welcome everyone to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pagan. And I'm John Michael McGrath. Today on the pod, did the Ontario government go AWOL during the trucker convoy protest in Ottawa? The commissioner, summing up events, sure thinks so. Will he or won't he? We now know he won't. Mike Schreiner stays put as leader of the Ontario Greens. The premier ducks questions in the legislature about that controversial stag and doe party for one of his daughters. And our quotes of note focuses on the recently deceased former Lieutenant Governor David Onley, the subject of tributes at Queen's Park last week. It's February 28th, 2023, so let's get to it. Howdy, partner. Hello. I wanted to start by telling you that I was reading one of your columns on the TVO website last week, and there was a line that really hit me. You want to, you want to hear the line? Uh, well, I mean, given that all of my sentences are pure gold, I'm going to be offended that <laughs> uh, only one of them stuck you. Some of them, I, I hate to tell you, some of them were silver and bronze, but this one was pure gold. Uh, you were writing about the first day back for the House in 2023, which was last Tuesday. And here's what you said. You said, it felt on Tuesday like the opposition was having more... More fun than the government. And the halls of Queen's Park haven't felt that way since Ford's election in 2018. Now, what I liked about this line is that pundits, they so often try to gauge what's happening at the legislature by analyzing policy or the numbers of bills that the government introduces or the number of pointed questions or gotcha questions that the opposition gets off during question period. But I think you nailed how a lot of MPPs process the goings on at Queen's Park, and that is, who looks like they're having fun? Who looks like they're actually enjoying the job? And there's no doubt this past week, the dial turned, maybe as you point out, for the first time since last June's election, and it was the opposition that was having fun. You know, we saw uh, Marit Stiles make her debut as NDP leader in a question period. Uh, the government is on the back foot uh, with regard to, uh, you know, really substantive controversies, both about uh, its plan to build uh, new homes in the Greenbelt, as well as uh, health care changes, the uh, Public Order Emergencies Commission. All of these, uh, you know, items really are bad news for the government. It would love to change the topic. Um, you know, the government is... is failing to find good answers for a lot of these issues. Um, and, you know, it's not just the NDP. The Liberals uh, looked like they had a little more wind in their sails. Uh, you know, they have a, a very important annual general meeting that is coming up in Hamilton uh, this weekend. And so uh, they're really hoping that that is you know, the first step towards rebuilding their party. Uh, you know, even uh, Mike Schreiner uh, was very energetic that, uh, that day. So, you know, all of the opposition parties really seemed to uh, be digging into the the events of the, the day and uh, really much more energized than uh, the government. You, of course, know that I have a legal slash constitutional obligation to mention Bill Davis as often as I can on this podcast. So here comes the reference. Get ready, everybody. I remember former Premier Dalton McGuinty once telling me that he got some advice from Bill Davis, and the advice was, look like you're enjoying the job. Even on the bad days, when the columns are crumbling around you, look like you enjoy the job. Because if you're not enjoying it, Mr. Davis told him, there's a good chance the public isn't going to be enjoying you in it. 
Very simple advice, but very good advice from a guy who won four straight elections in the 1970s and 80s. No one has done that since, I remind everyone. No one had done it since World War I days. So Ford government take note. That might be some advice worth listening to. You know, I think one of the... You mentioned pundits, you know, sometimes getting captivated by uh, bills and policies. And, and Lord knows I love to write about policy detail. You don't say. Uh, <laughs> listeners may have noticed. Um, but I, I do think that sometimes politics is also about the intangible stuff. And uh, sometimes <laughs> the vibe shifts, uh, to use a phrase that the kids use these days. And uh, it can be difficult for uh, a government to get its uh, feet back under it when that happens. And it's not to say that it can't happen. Governments do, uh, you know, have tough times and then they recover. And, you know, obviously this government hopes to get out of the current doldrums. But, uh, it, you know, it was definitely notable when I was at Queen's Park last week. A reminder to everyone listening, you can always email us your questions or comments at onpolitics at tvo.org. That's onpolitics at tvo.org. And to that end, Mr. McGrath, uh, what have we got in the mailbag this week? Uh, we have an email from listener Todd from Perth who writes, Last week's newsletter struck a chord because perhaps the least mentioned work-life balance struggle happens to Canadian military families. Perhaps that is a topic to be discussed at some point, though obviously not a provincial issue. Todd from Perth, that's a great point. We talked uh, incidentally about the lack of work-life balance last week because it was family day. And Todd has made a great point because while we did point out that it, it is better now for politicians than it was back in the day. I mean, after all, they had night sittings back in the day. There were, I think on Parliament Hill, there were no bathrooms on the main floor for women uh, because they just didn't, you know, when they built Parliament, it was all men down there. So there were no female washrooms. Anyway, it's more family friendly now. It's still a pretty tough go um, as a politician, I would suggest, because you're never really off the clock uh, at any time, even when you're on vacation. We pointed out in uh, last week's pod that there were some other jobs that aren't what you'd call family friendly. You've got first responders. You've got nurses who do overnight shift work and so on and so on. But Todd is quite right. Military families, particularly those, for example, where one parent is away for six months on a mission, They've got it tougher than anyone, and I'm really glad, Todd, that you sent that note so we could put that on the record as well. Once again, any comments or questions, please email us at onpolitics at tvo.org. Now, on to issue one. The mayor of Ottawa asked the premier, will you please come to these meetings with your political colleagues? And the premier said, it's not worth my time. Huh? And then, to add insult to injury, when Justice Rouleau asked this government, asked the Premier, asked then-Solicitor General Jones to come to Ottawa to appear before the Commission, they invoked parliamentary privilege and ran and hit. Now is your opportunity to turn the page. It's our first day back. Acknowledge you made Question. a mistake. Apologize to the people of Ottawa. Here, here. That's New Democrat Joel Harden in the legislature last week, wondering why the Ford government went AWOL during the trucker convoy protest in Ottawa last year. And it wasn't just the Ottawa Centre MPP who was saying it. In fact, Mr. Justice Paul Rouleau said it in his summation of those events. Justice Rouleau, of course, chosen, according to the Emergencies Act law, to do a post-mortem on that law's use and whether it was, in his view, legal for the prime minister to invoke it. In the end, the judge did find it was acceptable for Justin Trudeau to use the law to break up the convoy. But for all Ontarians, not just those living near the mayhem, there was another finding which was quite damning. And Mr. McGrath, I leave it to you to take us through it. 
The commissioner found that uh, essentially the Ford government had gone AWOL. Uh, we've used that term a few times now. Uh, people who don't love acronyms like yourself, Steve, uh, you know, will know that it's, it means absent without leave. Um, uh, here's really, I think, the, the key quote from the report. I find the province of Ontario's reluctance to become fully engaged in such efforts directed at resolving the situation in Ottawa troubling. Hmm. The judge went on to say that the province didn't get engaged on the convoy issue until the blockade in Windsor. Uh, which threatened the billion dollars a day of economic activity that cross uh, between Windsor and Detroit. Uh, Here's Justice Rulo again. It is unfortunate that such collaboration did not take place days earlier. Had there been greater collaboration at the political level from the start, it could have provided the people of Ottawa with a clear message that they had not been abandoned by their provincial government during a time of crisis. Hmm. This is, you know, a, a clear and really harsh finding uh, by the judge. Uh, it is even, I think, really more notable that in a report that is primarily about Ottawa police and the federal response to the Emergencies Act, the provincial government comes out looking maybe among the worst in the entire report, second only perhaps to former Ottawa Police Chief Peter Slowly. Well, let's also remember Premier Ford and his then Solicitor General Sylvia Jones refused to testify at this inquiry, claiming parliamentary privilege. So we really don't know what they were thinking at the time, other than Minister Jones telling her federal counterpart at the time, quote, you're not my effing boss, when he tried to get her involved in resolving this thing. I'm not being flippant here. That that was... That was the quote. There was evidence introduced that the minister did communicate that, although she didn't say effing, I don't think. She might have used a word slightly less parliamentary. Um, yeah, a more pointed word, I think, was used at the time, if I recall. We're, we're going to keep it family friendly here, here, here. on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, no, that's right. It, you know, if the premier and uh, Minister Jones had testified, uh, maybe they had, would have been able to explain why they made the decisions they made. Uh, or, of course, on the other hand, if they had testified, their uh, absence from trying to be part of the solution, presumably, would have been uh, interrogated, exposed, and that might have not have been a particularly good look for the provincial government either. Uh, it's worth noting that it wasn't just, you know, uh, government lawyers who were going to be asking questions. There were lots of different parties who uh, could have potentially, uh, you know, asked uh, very pointed questions of uh, the premier and minister. Uh, regardless, uh, the judge found the premier and his team did not, uh, let's say, cover themselves in glory uh, during the protests. Although I think I know somebody who did. Can I say one more word about this? We are not necessarily JMM, you and I, the sharpest tools in the tool shed. But I do recall one of us, several weeks back, suggesting on this podcast how this might all turn out. Let us get into our go-back-in-time machine and revisit that moment. Here we go. You mentioned, you know, he doesn't want to testify in case something embarrassing comes up. There is something even worse. Something embarrassing can come up. And he's not there to defend himself. Uh, You know, there are many, many more days ahead of us of testimony. That's a familiar voice from our November 1st episode last year. Not bad, McGrath, if I say so myself. I'm going to give myself uh, partial marks here. You know, as it turned out, uh, there wasn't really anything much more embarrassing to emerge from the inquiry after uh, that episode uh, was published. But the basic point I was making there, I think, holds up reasonably well. Uh, the report from Justice Rouleau was was really quite damning for the premier and his government, in large part because the facts were just bad. But it, it didn't help that the premier and former solicitor general didn't really do anything to defend themselves either. Either. You should go out and buy some lottery tickets right now for what it's worth. <laughs> anyway, on to issue two. I want to thank the 40 liberals 
who had the courage to take the unprecedented step of writing me a letter encouraging me to run for OLP leader, opening a conversation about how progressive parties might work differently. After several months of will he or won't he, the answer is in. Green Party leader Mike Schreiner will not be running for the liberal leadership after all, despite a pretty heavy courtship by some very high-profile liberals, and Schreiner's giving the draft movement quite intense consideration. Uh, Not to make this uh, a mutual admiration podcast, but I would like to return the favor you paid me uh, in the opening where you said you liked a line from one of my columns. Uh, Here was a line I liked from your column about this. Uh, It was always a bit of a long shot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is true. It was always a bit of a long shot. But given the amount of time Schreiner took before closing the door on this draft movement, he obviously thought long and hard about it. I think the idea did have some appeal. There was no obvious, there is no obvious front runner for the job of liberal leader today. There's no chance of becoming premier as leader of the Green Party, I would suggest. Maybe some chance down the road of becoming premier as the leader of the Liberal Party. After all, seven men and one woman have been liberal premiers in the past. And potentially an opportunity to bring Greens over to the Liberal Party and consolidate some of that progressive vote among two parties instead of three. That's the thinking anyway. But in the end, the red tent was a bridge too far for the green leader, and so he is staying put. Uh, I did ask him, you mentioned how how much time he took considering this, and I did ask him whether it was uh, a bit of uh, a pantomime. He had started off saying he was not going to run for the liberal leadership uh, back last year. That open letter was published. He reconsidered. He spent three weeks or so considering it and, and then arrived back where he started. Uh, So I asked him, you know, was this really just about appearances or uh, were you just trying to maybe not embarrass some people who you think highly of? He he says, no, no, he gave it serious thought and he did uh, want to take the the offer seriously and and give it the consideration it was due. Uh, But of course, it wasn't just what he wanted. There's a whole liberal party that has its own interests. And uh, the other problem that Schreiner was potentially facing was uh, a motion. Uh, liberal MPP Stephen Blaze uh, was putting a resolution to the liberal annual general meeting, which we've already mentioned. Uh, it is coming up this weekend in Hamilton. Uh, and the motion would require all potential leadership candidates to have been members of the party in good standing since January 1st of this year. Exactly right. He may as well have called it the Mike Schreiner, we're going to make it as impossible as possible for you to run for our party resolution, because that's the effect it would have had. So, I mean, let's look at it this way. Schreiner would not only have had to organize a leadership bid, but he'd also have to organize something at the convention to beat back this resolution. And there's certainly no guarantee that he could have done that in the very little time available. Bottom line, he's staying put as the one green MPP at Queen's Park. Uh, we should also mention that uh, Schreiner is not the only one ruling out a liberal leadership run. Uh, Mitzi Hunter, the MPP for Scarborough Guildwood, uh, has also said uh, on Monday of this week that she will not be running for the leadership of the Liberal Party, but she is entertaining for now the idea of running for the mayor of Toronto. Uh, obviously, that is a position that was recently vacated by uh, John Tory. The city is organizing the election, but it has not formally been called yet. Uh, it is tentatively expected to be held in June. And uh, I, certainly uh, Mitzi Hunter, if she chooses to run, will be just one of several candidates who uh, have been expressing interest. Some of them, of course, are also uh, MPPs. And as we reminded everybody last week, or as you did, 
If she wants to run for mayor of Toronto, she has to resign her MPP seat, as would all the others uh, from Queen's Park who are considering it. So it's a big decision. It's a big decision, and it is a big uh, risk for the Liberal Party. I, I mean, she has won that seat in two tough elections for uh, the Liberals. But giving up a, a seat that the, the party already holds and one where, frankly, the, the Tories and the NDP are also going to be able to mount a, a serious competition, uh, that, that, that's a tough choice. <laughs> right on. Now, on to issue three. Are there any other events or parties of this nature that the Premier or his staff have organized recently that may be worth also asking the Integrity Commissioner to investigate. Even in her own letter to the Integrity Commissioner, she ends it by saying, of course, in my opinion, in her opinion, no facts, no, no, no real uh, uh, evidence, uh, Mr. Speaker, just the member's opinion. Okay, as we predicted and explained last week, the stag and doe party for one of the Premier's daughters is a story that is not going away. Now that the legislature is back sitting, the new opposition leader, Marit Stiles, is asking more questions about the nature of the relationship between Premier Ford and those developers who paid $150 to attend the party. One of the reasons we wanted to play that clip you just heard is that you'll notice who is and who is not responding for the government. The question was to the premier. However, it was the House leader, Paul Calandra, who rose to respond to it. The Tories have clearly made a calculation that Doug Ford will not be speaking about this and rather have sent the House leader out to do the premier's dirty work, if I can call it that way. And to be clear, this is all quite acceptable under the rules of question period, which, let's remember, is called question period, not question and answer period. You can ask whatever you want. You don't always get the answers you want or the politicians answering the questions that you want. Yeah, exactly. There is no obligation by any minister or the premier himself to answer the question uh, directed at them by an opposition uh, member. In this case, uh, the premier is handing off <laughs> queries from the opposition uh, to his government house leader, Paul Calandra. And, you know, sometimes when the premier isn't in uh, the chamber, it's it's totally normal for uh, another minister or the deputy premier to respond uh, in his place. Other times, a question might be directed at a minister who might not be a particularly strong question period performer. And of course, the opposition might delight in specifically directing their questions to that minister. Um, but they are allowed under the rules to allow someone else to answer the question for them. And then there's the final option, which is just not to show up at question period at all. Uh, it's actually considered unparliamentary to refer to uh, a member's presence or absence in the House uh, because the rules recognize that MPPs have lots of different obligations and sometimes being in question period is maybe not the most important use of an MPP's uh, time. We have seen the Premier uh, become, I, th I think we could fairly call it testy, uh, at his announcements when he's held press conferences and reporters have come to the microphone to ask questions about this. Well, remind us of some of the answers he has given in those circumstances, if you would. Uh, so, uh, in 
no particular order. Uh, he has stated that uh, the boys organized the whole thing. He's, uh, we believe, referring to his uh, sons-in-law. The integrity commissioner gave it the thumbs up a thousand percent, not 999 percent, but a thousand percent. No one can buy influence with the Ford family. It's a private family matter. No political family has had to answer more questions about private family events than the Fords. These are all uh, claims that the premier has made when, when asked about this. Well, let's unpack that just a little bit. Um, can I do this? Let's give the premier the benefit of the doubt and assume he absolutely believes what he's saying a thousand percent, not 999 percent, but a thousand percent. Let's assume he really believes he can't be bought by rich developers and that this was just a social event with no political overtones at all and no political business was discussed at the event. This is possible, believe it or not. All of the above is possible. However, the one thing the premier apparently refuses to acknowledge are the optics of this whole thing. He does not understand that even if this event was as pure as the driven snow we got pelted with last week, the optics of developers who have just had their land moved out of the greenbelt so they can now build expensive homes on that land, not affordable housing, incidentally, but expensive homes, and earn millions of dollars thanks to that change in policy by the Ford government, those optics are very off-brand for a premier who claims to be looking out for the little guy. That's the problem here. You know, there's uh, an old expression in politics, find out where the story is going and get there. Don't drag it out. The chances of your being able to change the narrative are extremely rare. You know, we will have to keep an eye on this story. It is <laughs> intrinsically newsworthy, and I think, frankly, we're enjoying paying attention to it. Um and, you know, we will see whether the government uh, tries to to continue this this current um, insistence, which seems to be, you know, that there's absolutely nothing to see here and, and its critics are, are totally misguided. But it just looks like untenable, indefensible ground, if I could put it that way. Um, or, you know, maybe they will try and figure out where this is going to end and get there quickly. It is unusual for the premier, I think, to take this approach because we have seen numerous times in the past, whether it was his use of the notwithstanding clause to set aside the uh, constitutionally protected rights of unionized members to collectively bargain. You remember when all those union leaders showed up uh, to say, you can't do this, you can't impose a settlement on these folks and take away their rights. Uh, he apologized almost right away. I think it was the next day and said, OK, we'll back down. Uh, he did the same thing during COVID when he wanted to shut down all the playgrounds and golf courses and everything else. And then he said, uh, oh, OK, I, I went too far. I apologize. I'm changing my mind. He he does do that. And he's actually one of the few politicians I know who has been able to change his mind and not suffer a political penalty for doing so. In fact, I think people actually give him more credit for doing so. But on this one, he seems to have drawn a line in the sand and, you know, I think it's an open question as to whether or not it's a politically advisable thing to do. I'll tell you this, John Michael, in the legislature on Monday, Paul Calandra, who, of course, is answering the questions on Ford's behalf, did something that I haven't seen him do in the previous weeks in which he's been asked about this. And that is he lost his temper. He really flew off the handle and got really upset at the new leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition. And that's also not a particularly good look. You know, I find myself wondering how much of this is, um, you know, an accident of political events and, and we just sort of 
got here, uh, or the, you know, the government just sort of got here, and how much of this is you know a, a sincere conviction, if I could put it that way, right? We know that before uh, he was premier, Doug Ford spoke to uh, a group of supporters saying he was going to uh, change the boundaries of the green belt and allow more uh, housing there. And so, I mean, one answer to this conundrum is simply that uh, Doug Ford really does believe that the green belt is bad policy and that we should be building uh, more homes on it. Um, it doesn't feel like it explains enough to me. Now, from time to time, we like to present what we're calling our quote of note. And last week, we did hear some quotes of note when each of the parties had an MPP rise in the legislature and paid tribute to the late former Lieutenant Governor of Ontario, David Onley. Mr. Onley died back in January at the age of 72. Here are our quotes of note from... Opposition leader Marit Stiles, Liberal MPP Mitzi Hunter, Green Party leader Mike Schreiner, and the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford. As Mr. Onley had said often, most people are one fall or one accident away from really understanding how inaccessible places were for him. He lives on in his immortalized words, in Hansard, in the results he achieved for the people of Ontario, and in the lives and memories of his loving family and the friends who had the pleasure of knowing him. Thank you for sharing him with our province. Thank you. His contributions will always be remembered with a deep degree of gratitude. And it is my hope that we will all do our best to honour his legacy of accessibility through the kinds of service and action that he modelled so well for all of us. Thank you. The barriers he broke for people with disabilities, the path he paved, the expectations he left government, this house with, were groundbreaking, inspiring, and I believe must be honored by all who serve in this place to carry on his legacy. He leaves behind a wonderful lasting legacy for the people of Ontario. His contributions to our province will never be forgotten. May God bless our 28th Lieutenant Governor of Ontario, David C. Onley. Onley's wife, Ruth Ann, and one of the couple's three sons were in the legislature that day to hear those tributes. Uh, I was there as well. It, it really was a, a nice, uh, lovely moment in the legislature. For all of those times when we want to criticize, appropriately so sometimes, uh, or denigrate or make fun of some of the stuff that happens in that chamber. Every now and then you have a moment where everybody's on the same page and it's really lovely. And that was one of those moments. That is the On Poly podcast for February 28th, 2023. Remember to check out our weekly newsletter. You can subscribe to that at tvo.org slash newsletters. This week, JMM and I riff some more on Mike Schreiner's decision to stay put and not contest the Ontario Liberal leadership, the rules of which, incidentally, should be set this coming weekend at the party's annual general meeting. Any feedback you have, we are happy to hear it, good, bad, or indifferent. Write us an email at onpolitics at tvo.org. Here's an email from listener Charlene who writes, I'm not politics savvy, but I do appreciate your down-to-earth, non-bombastic meat and potatoes perspectives. <laughs> and as somebody who enjoys meat and potatoes, I, I appreciated that. Well, thank you, Charlene. I find in real life too much meat and potatoes probably aren't good for you, but when it comes to podcasting, it's a perfect diet. We also have some news to share from our colleagues over at The Thread with Nam Kiwanuka. They've officially released the first 
first episode of their second season. Each month, The Thread speaks with Ontarians and experts about topics that are top of mind, whether it's carving out space and creating a community amidst hostile infrastructure, building relationships during late-night runs on the street of a big city, or finding a new path to friendship with the help of a medical professional. This month's episode focuses on the impacts of loneliness. That is a very big and timely topic. Solutions to Building Better Communities. You can watch the thread's latest episode on TVO.org or on YouTube.com forward slash at the thread with Nam. That's YouTube.com forward slash at the thread with Nam. This week's episode was produced and edited by Matthew O'Mara. Our managing editor is Shahir Tajvidi. Production support from Nikki Ashworth, Carla Lucetta, and Jonathan Hallowell. COVID is not over yet, people, so let's remember, as my dad likes to say, stay positive, test negative. Stay safe, Steve. Stay safe, Steve.